A reading from Jeremiah. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priest, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. 
Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. I feel like I've been gone from our regular Sunday morning services for ages. I missed uh, three weeks ago because I was with many of you up at the Bishop's Ranch, and then the week after that because I was on my way to Baltimore for a meeting of one of the standing commissions of the wider church. And then last week, of course, we were all sort of discombobulated in that beautiful way that St. Francis Sunday always discombobulates us welcoming our four-footed and many-footed friends for blessings here at the church. And suddenly we're now back in what the calendar calls ordinary time, which is not meant to be mundane, but we use the word anyway, interestingly enough. A lot of my journeys around the church have been looking at church governance, I have been privileged to be asked to serve on the Standing Commission for Governance and Structure, Constitution, and Canons of the Episcopal Church. It sounds grander than it is. A lot of minutiae to conquer, but I have the great privilege of working alongside some of the brightest people I know, chancellors, legal minds, and bishops, and lay people from across the church who are doing hard work And they were charged um, by a number of resolutions of the last general convention. And a number of those resolutions really boil down to a simple request. Save the church. So what do we do? We go to Baltimore and sit near the airport and deliberate on how we're going to save the... No, no, not really. Not really. Not really. One of the members of the Standing Commission, the vice chair is one of the most widely respected bishops in the Episcopal Church right now, Bishop Rowe. Bishop Rowe serves, count them, not one but two dioceses in the Northeast and is widely respected in the House of Bishops and also amongst the House of Deputies for his wicked sense of humor, in part, as he's fond of saying he's hoping for a third diocese and then he can receive a pallium like an archbishop. He's kidding, of course but also because he's very, very serious about the work and life of ministry on the ground. He serves two dioceses that are very small, in many respects very rural, and filled with tiny congregations struggling to eke their way out in a world where many of them feel like, sometimes we feel here in Southern Marin, like we're doing this work in exile, right? Right? And Bishop Rowe is fond of saying that the church is not in the middle of a leadership crisis. As some people often say, we need more leadership. Bishop Rowe says, we don't need more leadership. We have plenty of leadership. Loads of vision for the future of the church and a sense of mission and who we are 
Bishop Rose says, it's kind of a showstopper actually, he says we need more management. More management. A surprising thing for a bishop to say, a keeper of the wisdom and leadership and vision for his two dioceses and the wider church. We need more management, he's fond of saying. Well, what is he on about? As many of you know, we lost use of the white zone a few weeks ago, right out here, which meant that the Episcopal Church right here in Mill Valley lost 10 parking spaces for our Sunday morning services. And for a church, a parish that has no parking, that's a big deal, right? Now, some of you know Eric, who is the crossing guard out here every morning on weekdays, and I come and I arrive just before 8.30 after I drop Mari off at her school in Corte Madera, and there is no place to park now, absolutely none. So I go a few blocks up level and park there, and I come down, and Eric is, is sort of my informal confessor. He sees this sort of black cloud of resentment sometimes hanging over my head. Why do I have to park so far away from work? Why is the city doing this to us? And why does it feel like the walls are closing in? And, you know, why, 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 why? You know, parish in exile, right? Rector in exile. And, as I said, Eric is sort of my informal confessor. And... He kind of livens me up, picks me up, dusts me off first thing in the morning before I get my workday started. The good news of today's readings is that we find ourselves in good company when it comes to feeling like a church in exile, right? Yes, we're on decline path, it seems, and we're struggling with that as an institution But what we discover is, in fact, this is the experience of our distant spiritual ancestors. Jeremiah is writing to a people who are not only feeling like they're in exile, they literally are. The Judeans have been uprooted from their homeland in Jerusalem. The temple has been wiped out, and they they have been taken into Babylon. Now what are they going to do? Jeremiah doesn't offer them this ecstatic vision of a glorious future where they will overthrow the Babylonian Empire and restore the Davidic glory of ancient Israel. No, he doesn't offer them that. He doesn't even say, you definitely will go back someday. He offers them a management plan. Mary, have children Look out for the thriving of the city of which you are a part. Be upstanding citizens. Marry off your children so that they may have children too. Carry on the traditions you have received. That is God's command to you. Manage. Management. In exile. Surprising from the voice of a prophet, right? We expect our prophets to offer us inspiration for something that we can't even possibly imagine. And here is Jeremiah doing what Jeremiah does so well in so many of his prophecies. He is into the basics of life. 
and attending to what is in front of you. Roll with it, he's basically telling a people in exile. Be faithful. It's the founder of the Brotherhood of St. Gregory who is always reminding us that we are not called to be successful, we are called to be faithful. And it is only when we are faithful that we have a chance, perhaps, at some degree of success. Bishop Rowe is right. We are called to be good stewards, managers of what we have received more than anything else in ministry. And it may feel ordinary. It may feel annoying. We may not get everything we want. Yet, this is our calling. Something, of course, we hear in Paul's voice in the letter today to Timothy Paul had every reason to despair. Paul was imprisoned, probably facing death, and in fact, he ultimately did. He could have deemed his apostolic mission a failure. He could have said, you know, this whole Jesus thing is really a crock, and walked away. But instead, he finds inspiration even while living in that most deeply personal exile of all, in prison, knowing that he is facing the end. He sees something beyond that, and he writes to Timothy, and he writes to the early church, and he tells them, carry on. Be good stewards. Tell others what you have heard. Carry on the mission that Christ has given you. Even when you feel exiled by this world, because you will. Because you will. That's part of the journey. After all, it was good enough for Jesus to feel on the outside. Why is it not good enough for you? And then we have today's gospel reading, which is startling at many different levels. What's fascinating to me is that there is a deep subtext that connects our reading from Jeremiah and today's reading. The hero of today's reading, like in a number of other familiar stories in Luke, is a Samaritan, a foreigner, as Jesus deems him. And the Samaritans had a part to play, interestingly enough, in the same exile that Jeremiah is writing about. The Judeans were carried off in all of their leadership and their priests and their scribes into Babylon. The Samaritans were the people in the northern kingdom who were left behind. The exile lasted for many generations so that by the time the Judeans came back to Jerusalem and were restored, their whole vision and tradition had been changed. In fact, you could say that it was in that exile. In that exile, they lived in the crucible of what would become the tradition 
we and our Jewish sisters and brothers have inherited. It was the forge for the Torah, the primary teachings of the Jewish tradition. The very foundations of Genesis, Exodus, and all those stories come to us in their present form out of the exile experience. So by the time they came back, they were really a new people, transformed by that experience. But the Samaritans had carried on their own traditions, and they suddenly looked at each other no longer as brothers and sisters on a journey, but as different people with different traditions. And by the time we get to the first century, there is a way in which the Judeans view the Samaritans as what we might call heretics on the outside. As an interesting aside, if you look it up, you'll discover there are still Samaritans in the world today. You know how many there are? Around 800. They are a dying tradition. And most of them dwell in what we call today the West Bank in Israel and Palestine. And they struggle to sustain a tradition that they have carried on for countless generations. And yet Luke highlights the Samaritan as the one who gets it in today's story. The implication is that the other nine are faithful Judeans, and when Jesus says, go and get yourselves checked out by the priest, they know exactly what to do, and they go do it. That's what faithful Judeans do. That's what the faithful do in any tradition. They follow the instructions they have received from whoever they have turned to for healing and for guidance. But it's the Samaritan who remembers something that is absolutely critical for us as a people, as Christians, who often feel like we're living in exile. Every Sunday we approach this table and we do something that is unusual in the context of Southern Marin and is increasingly unusual in the context of the wider West and American society today. We hold out our hands and we offer ourselves, as we say, in thanksgiving. That's what that word Eucharist means. We do what the Samaritan does. We come back and we offer thanks. That is who we are. And honestly, it may be the critical thing that makes us different from the rest of the world that world upon whom God is constantly pouring out abundant love and an abundant call, who is constantly wanting to love into being, we are the ones who are called to remember that we have been healed and to turn back to our Lord and Savior and say thank you and offer praise and prayer. And in that moment, find that we are transformed and that what we thought was living in exile is actually an opportunity to be in that crucible, in that crucible that will bring renewed freedom to the whole world. This past week, I decided to let go of the cloud over my head over the white space across the street. We may live to fight that one another day, but We'll get there, 
But as I was walking down the street, I realized I was seeing parents I wouldn't otherwise normally see getting their children out for school, and I was able to say good morning to people I normally only get to say good morning to once a week. And then there was kids on the playground who waved up at me and said, Hi, Mari's dad. That's kind of cool. That's God's blessing, even in the midst of what may feel like an exile experience. And so what do we do? We manage. That's all God expects us to do. But more than that, we offer thanks for the abundant life and love we have been given. And in that thanksgiving, we find new life for us and for the world that we are called to serve. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.